PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, our regularly scheduled podcast that we produce here at Pro Cannabis Media. And as we always do at the beginning and end of our podcast, please remember to like, share and subscribe, not just to this particular podcast, just because it is the oldest and most downloaded. No, don't do that. No, subscribe to all of the content that Pro Cannabis Media is so proud to bring our audience and our growing audience. We're growing by six to 10 subscribers on YouTube every day now. And uh, that, I take a lot of pride in that because I know the people that are involved in putting together our programs. And I'm most proud of our weekly We Talk News show that Elena Pinto is the anchor of and Tori Chamberlain is the producer of. And if you haven't checked out our We Talk News on a regular basis, you really should since we get reports from all over the United States, Canada, and now Europe, thanks to another guy on this particular podcast. His name is Lex Pelger. He actually is situated in the country of France. Am I right, Lex? Correct, in Bordeaux. In Bordeaux. So he has great wine outside his door, and he can uh, talk the talk about cannabis. And that's why, that's why he qualified. And of course, whenever we talk about European cannabis scene. I love to revisit with my friend Martin Condon from Martin's World podcast. And Martin joins us as well. Hi, Martin. How are you today? Thanks very much, Shane, for having me on, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be here. And actually, uh, we'll start with uh, Martin just because of the news of the week, if you will, when we recorded this particular interview. Uh, the Irish Parliament is now considering decriminalization of cannabis. Uh, Martin, uh, it, this is big news in your country, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's huge news, and it's uh, it's gotten the conversation really going. Um, there's been a lot of discussion taking place on the the airwaves here, and very positive too. Although you do get your usual prohibitionists coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, um, think of the children and psychosis and and all of this nonsense. But to be fair, the the facts speak for themselves. Prohibition has failed, and the 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 better way to harm reduction is going to be through decriminalization and regulation. Yeah. And it's always like the first step. Lex, I want to bring you into the conversation, too. Um, you keep an eye on the entire European scene over there. It, it The movement, the the the, um, the end of prohibition of cannabis in Europe has begun. I think that is a statement that we can all agree. Now, what are the next steps? Lex, it sounds like and looks like it will be Germany leading the way as far as acceptance and legalization and commercialization of uh, the plant. Is that accurate? It is true. Germany's probably the biggest news as one of the big players who's going legal. The thing that's working so well for Europe is they already have strong medical programs in a lot of these countries that have been around for at least a couple of years. And they've gotten their kinks worked out. They realize that it's helping people. And I believe it's inspired confidence in the populace that legalizing for adult use is going to be okay. And so now with Germany making the move, that's inspiring Poland to go into talks as well. Uh, Czech Republic is talking to them. And I think they're going to be the ones that are sparking the conversation of taking a lot of these countries over the line from medical use into adult use. And even in the Netherlands, they're trying to debate now about the notorious back door, because you know, you have these coffee shops that are vaguely legal, but 
no one knows how the cannabis is getting in the back door. That part is completely unregulated. And, you know, there are some mafia ties there and things like that that are not good. And there's a reason to get this into the light. And I know it's one of the concerns with what's happening in Ireland is it's a decriminalization bill, but you're not going to touch the cultivation side. And so as, um, as a great, uh, the, uh, uh, prankster from uh, San Francisco, um, uh, Dennis Perone would say, it's the magic ounce. You're allowed to have an ounce, but you're not allowed to get it from anywhere. Where does this magic ounce come from? And that's the problem you face when you have these decriminalization methods. It takes the, the teeth out of the police, but it doesn't allow the black market to become more light, more regulated, and what's closest to my heart, better quality medical products for medical patients. And I know Ireland can be a very difficult place to be a medical cannabis patient, and hopefully this is going to help. Martin, you, what, are you, what are your feelings about what Lex just said? Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with him there with Germany being uh, setting the way forward. Um, and, and also, you know, with the decriminalization being uh, very beneficial, I suppose, uh, but but not to the patients. Um, it, it's beneficial in one sense that you're not going to be treated like a criminal, but as Darius Perron says, where does this magic ounce come from? It just appears out of nowhere. And un unfortunately, at the moment, it's the organized crime gangs who are in control of it here. Like I said, the mafia, I believe biker gangs are a big part of the, the scene as well. You know, so it's uh, until we get that part right. Uh, yeah, we're going to continuously see people getting these uh, unregulated products, which are going to be disastrous. But I'll have to say that uh, it's. Another big bit of news that came out of Ireland there this week was there or last week was we had our very first endometriosis patient uh, be given a ministerial license for access to medical cannabis. This woman was uh, long fighting for access to cannabis. She's a, a warrior uh, of a cannabis activist, to be fair. Um, but she now is uh, going to be able to get access to cannabis on a monthly basis coming in from Holland. But it's still the, the cost is still a major barrier there for her. Um, so again, th these bills, they're, they're great and everything for consumers and stuff, but for the patients, there's still not enough conversation happening around getting safe and effective access, not just to the very limited patients who have it, but the, all of the patients who need it. Right. And, and the medicine and the science and the research continues to drive the decriminalization, the end of prohibition movement, not just here in the United States of America, but all across the world. And we're seeing it now uh, in, in Europe as well. Um, Lex, uh, that was great to uh, remember Dennis Perone and, and, that, uh, and that quote he had, because it's really funny. And what happens, again, is the advocates and the attorneys and the lobbyists get this bill, so get legalization, if you will, so far. And then they realize, wait a second, you can now grow it, you can sell it, you can um, ask a doctor for a prescription for it even too, because you have to get your card in the United States, but you can't smoke it anywhere but in your own backyard or in your own house. And, and again, whether it is smoking it or using a titration, uh, something underneath your tongue, a tincture, for instance, or it's a topical, there's so many different ways to use this plant medicine. It's still education by people like you, Martin, by people like you, Lex, and I like to throw myself in there as well now, uh, to talk to the elected officials and explain to them what might be the best way or the, the, the fairest way to allow those who have been most impacted by the failed war on drugs an opportunity to get into this business because everybody wants a piece 
of the pie, the money pie. Am I right? And and we all recognize that. Um, Martin, what what do you think? Uh, are we ever going to get to the point where we these um, these new laws uh, appease all sides to this argument? I'm not too sure. I think there's too much appeasement going on at the moment by the lawmakers for the prohibitionists and not the consumers and not the patients. You look at Germany, for example, leading the way, but in Europe, but they still have a, is it a 30 gram limit or some, somewhere thereabouts? But I have to ask the question is, the, why is there a limit on possession of cannabis when you could freely have lethal, uh, multiple uh, lethal doses of alcohol and purchase it all at once? I don't understand why we treat cannabis in this way. So while there is light there, I, I still see a darkness within the light that the prohibitionists are still rooted within the policies that are being made. And until we just eradicate, get them out of there, the prohibitionists never been good for society. I think a lawmaker said it uh, best here, um, uh, Aidan or Erdogan, he's uh, a part of the Labour Party and as part of a debate on the de decriminalisation of the, the drug user, he said that we shouldn't have a war on drugs. We should have a war on bad drug policies he said that the, the lawmakers who put prohibition in place are the real criminals. He said that he feels like a criminal as he's one of the lawmakers up there at the moment. So I thought that was a very powerful and bold statement for a lawmaker to be making in this country. Absolutely. And you could probably put it alongside uh, the comments that uh, our own President Joe Biden had about the the laws in the United States and how they have to be changed and we have to deschedule it from controlled substances, schedule number one. So, um, Lex, you're right in the middle of uh, wine country in Bordeaux, France, right? I mean, that's right. It's the Napa Valley. Well, excuse me. Napa Valley is the Bordeaux of France. Is that right? That's where that's where that, that you'd want. Okay. What, I don't want to get that is, debate. That right, exactly. My what, what is the, what are the laws in France in your own backyard? Where, where do you see movement in France, if any, at all? It's, it's really regressive. It is actually of the large European powers. France is arguably the very worst, uh, which is very funny because they are by far the largest consumer of, of cannabis in the European Union. They're also, how the do we measure that? Hang on a second. Who, who's, I, who's taking notes on that? Right. Um, the, there's a European Drug uh, uh, Policy Modernizing uh, Association. So I'm always Euro paying attention from them. Wait, the, uh, yeah, just to smell. Um, yeah, there, but it's uh, by a number of different studies that I've seen, France leads the way per capita in smoking, in consuming cannabis, um, as well as in consuming hemp which has very, very low levels of THC, and some people smoke it just for the CBD. And so they have a ton of CBD shops that have popped up all over the country. But at the EU level, France is trying not to get cannabis legalized. It's trying to get CBD back into the banned category. It's actively pushing back on this huge uh, industry that's popping up. And they, it's France. They just, when, the, when there's a question, the answer is no. Uh, and if you want to turn it to yes, you have to do some negotiation. And so it's quite a regressive place here. Um, they're not cracking down. There's, in most cities like here, there's some spots you can go along the river to buy weed that are there. The guys are there all the time uh, and nobody's busting them. And you're not. You suspect in the major cities there's a very racialized arrest uh, thing going on, but France doesn't keep uh, racial statistics with their arrests. So you're not sure if it's more black and brown people getting arrested. But from everything you hear from drug reporters and people like that, you know, France is, is a deeply racist country. And uh, 
the, the laws seem to be applied that way as well. So it's not pretty here in France. And there's almost the idea of medical cannabis is still quite far away, which again, to me is the saddest part because there are just so many patients who need it. And the nitty gritty of how the medical cannabis gets rolled out is so important because as you see in the United States with these different state uh, initiatives, sometimes the new adult use legal market destroys the old helpful medical market. And now the, the medical patient can only get recreational style weed at high prices with high taxes when really they should be getting – very high quality, very low cost cannabis, hopefully subsidized by the states or the insurance companies, just like any other helpful medicine is, especially here in Europe. I know it's one of the big fights with Germany is who's going to be paying for the cannabis. And at this point, it's mostly out of pocket, which is a shame. Yeah. And, and that's true here in my state of Massachusetts and in other uh, legalized states around the United States is that that adult use and medical market kind of moves like this, where the adult use is always much more. There's more people going to adult use recreational dispensaries than are taking advantage of the medical card that the state offers. And yet, when you go to a dispensary, even those adults who don't have a medical card will explain that, well, I really, I like using it for my sleep, or it helps me with my anxiety, or, you know, they got, you know, all the different things it has benefits, benefits for, but they don't realize that they're using a plant medicine and they're self-medicating. And I know some of the prohibitionists out there are saying, well, if it's a true medicine, shouldn't it be controlled by the medical community? And that is where the biggest uh, development that has to happen in the future, guys. We're still, you guys, we're all still fighting acceptance and the end of prohibition. Will we ever get to the point where the legal market will actually be much bigger and controlled than that illegal legacy market, if you will? And will we actually accomplish what some of the ideas of legalization are supposed to cure, i.e. controlled, tested, so you know exactly what you're getting when you go in to a dispensary? Uh, it, there's a lot of battles there, right, Martin? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, but I, I don't think you're going to totally eliminate a black market, but I definitely think uh, with right policies, you can do a huge deal um, to get rid of the the more nefarious individuals uh, within that. I think you're always going to have people who are going to sell a little bit of cannabis, maybe or trade a bit of cannabis between one another, but there's no nefariousness going on there. It's the organized crime gangs and the the cartels, say, over in America. That Those are the people you want to remove from it. Um, if there's like 10, 5% of a bit of uh, black market trading going on, as long as it's not being done by massive organized crime gangs who are human trafficking and and uh, all sorts of uh, bloodshed associated with their trade, um, then happy it is. Uh, that, that I definitely believe we can get to that point, but I don't think we're going to completely eliminate, eliminate a black market. Yeah. Lex, what's your feeling about what I said? It is really tricky, and I think the best state to look at is New York State because they're trying to do a very good job with their first adult use licenses are all going to people who are harmed by the war on drugs, um, and that's their way to try to make good some of the damage that was done. Uh, of course, that often leads to figureheadism of people who are just being put up by others and things like that, but at least it's the best try you see. On the flip side, New York also has a ton of illegal pot illegal pot shops that have popped up all over the place. Most bodegas, most smoke shops are selling weed now. There are even people selling rollies on the street all over Brooklyn. And so are we supposed to send in the police to bust 
these dealers because they're doing this in an unpermitted way when really what these dealers are doing is breaking into the um, black market legacy market people who are now trying to come into the light and so there do we go back to prohibition to protect these licenses uh, it's it's a very tricky question. I don't really know what the right answer is, but I do know that the drug war distorts this stuff because, for instance, if you get caught in the United States selling methamphetamine, you don't get charged with selling a legal drug. You get charged with selling a drug not being permitted. Meth is a is a legal pharmaceutical. So you're allowed to sell that uh, if you are a pharmaceutical company who manufactures it. If you manufacture without a license, that's what you get busted for doing it without a license. And where that dynamic tension is going to land, I don't really know what the right answer is. Um, yeah. I do want to see lower taxes and better quality for medical patients, but I'm glad I'm not one of the policymakers trying to exactly hammer out what these answers should be. Yeah, and I don't think we'll get, they'll get, they won't get, nobody's going to get it right the first time. I know you mentioned New York, and I think that's a great experiment, if you will, because I think they've recognized that they can make a difference in uh, in this particular uh, blotch on our society. When I look at the failed war on drugs and how many people of color we've put in jail three and a half more times than white people. And, it, and a lot of people have said it is truly white man guilt that is driving a lot of these new laws um, and giving an opportunity uh, in that community. Uh, are we going to ever see that in, in, in Europe? Or are they going to be slow to change on that one too? Martin, go ahead. Well, I, I've not seen anything uh, to, to indicate that we're going to be uh, progressive in that area just yet. Even Germany, I've seen nothing there coming out to say that they're going to be undoing some of the harms that have been done by prohibition. Even the bill here in Ireland uh, it has completely excluded any conversation around um, harms caused by prohibition. Um, so I, I would like to be a bit more optimistic there, but I think there's going to be a lot more pushing from the ground up uh, for get those kind of changes here in, in Ireland. Um, question about uh, Delta Eight, guys. You know, uh, Lex, you mentioned CBD. Look at Martin; he's smiling. You know, speaking of things that are out there that we didn't realize would actually get you high, that are now legal hemp, legal. Um, again, uh, it's another example of our leadership not doing their homework before they actually uh, came up with the Farm Bill in the United States in 2018, which has really been the beginning of all of this fast movement of change. And now, of course, humans being who we are, um, we're discovering, hey, you can get high from this Delta 8. Whoa, I didn't know that. And now that has become another issue with the end of prohibition. Um, Lex, walk me through what you know about uh, Delta 8 and, and, and CBD. You mentioned some of the CBD uh, markets in, in, um, in, in your area. Well, I don't know about anyone really going into the Delta 8 thing in Europe. I only hear about it in the US. But the reason the U in the US it's so popular is with a pretty simple piece of chemistry, you can close the two rings of CBD and turn it into a, th a three rings Delta 8 THC. And Delta-8 THC occurs in the plant naturally, but at really low levels. It's not very economical to do that. But it's very economical to take CBD and turn it into Delta-8. And according to the U.S. Farm Bill, anything that's made from hemp, uh, which is defined as a any cannabis plant with less than 0.3% THC by dry weight, then it can be legal. And so you can make THC products out of that using the regular Delta-9 THC. You just They'll be very weak, but you strengthen them and use more of the Delta-9. Or you can take a whole bunch of that CBD and convert it to Delta-8. 
I know that just this week, uh, a very fear-mongering article came out because it's not a very clean process when you're turning CBD into Delta-8-THC. There's a lot of other isomers and things in there that aren't well-tested. And yes, the cannabinoids in general tend to be pretty safe drugs, but they do have those small links to various negative things like schizophrenia and whatnot. And so having this just explode onto the scene with no oversight, I mean, part of me is... Part of me just doesn't care. I want people to be able to take any drug that they want as long as they don't harm anyone else. Um, but it does make sense that there might be some kind of regulation here, at least about the purity of the Delta-8 THC products are out there. But for now, there's enough of a gray market that people all over the U.S. can order Delta-8 gummies or Delta-9 gummies sent to their house and get high right away. So yeah. and, and, and by that, the way, go have fun. It takes a lot more Delta-8 than it does with the other, with Delta 9, you know, with the real thing, if you will. Um, and and Martin, I got to ask, what, what is the um, opinion? Where are we with CBD and Delta 8 in your country? Well, I've seen a couple of um, vape carts coming around being advertised as Delta 8. Um, so that there has been an appearance of it on the Irish market. Um, again, it, it's just another product, uh, much like the, the head shops we had over here, where we had these research chemicals, for lack of a better name. It's just that they weren't legislated for being illegal. Um, so D8, I, I, be, I don't believe it falls into that bracket, though, because uh, the Irish law on cannabinoids, it's quite restrictive. Um, it talks about uh, isomers and monomer. it talks about um, changes to the THC molecule. So. My understanding is that the, the Delta 8 uh, could be described as an isomer of uh, THC of some kind. Um, they could argue it under Irish law that it is illegal. But again, you know, going back to what Alex was talking about there with the process, uh, that, that's the biggest problem with it uh, from what I've been hearing is that the, the process of making it, it's quite dirty. The people making it, they're not often chemists and they don't really clean it very well. And you get a lot of residual um, solvents and stuff like that from the process in making it plus as well as uh, undesirable compounds that are uh, made during the process of it as well. I have a friend above in Saskatchewan in Canada, and he speaks very poorly of the, the D8 market above there in Canada. So to see it coming over here to Ireland, it just worried me that it's a spillover of leftover product, or maybe people are, again, wanting to be chemists here in Ireland, but not really having the qualifications for it. I never knew. I never knew anything about chemistry, Lex. Obviously, with your little isomers and your your nice analogies, you know more about this stuff than I do. But I I certainly am fascinated with all the different elements in this plant that we're now discovering. And and one of the first things I learned when I started doing interviews three four years ago was the the interaction between those two biggest cannabinoids, two biggest chemicals uh, in the cannabis plant, the CBD and the THC. Now, the THC is the intoxicating um, cannabinoid, where the CBD, along with CBN and CBG and other the other CBs out there, um, are the things that balance it, you know? And, and there's even going to be a product coming online, I know, because I know one of the premier researchers in this called Undo. If you end up get having too much THC, like in an edible, and you're, you're a novice, and you're just trying, oh, let me just try this. Oh, it tastes good. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, oh, you know, you're all, we all have had our edible story, but at least there is now in development a product that you could take that will bring you down. It will take you from here 
to there. And it is a pure CBD product. And uh, Dr. Marion McNabb is the one who's come up with this. And she's a, a friend of ours because she was one of the first interviews I did uh, four years ago. And it's that that's her product. And I, I think it's brilliant because I wonder, and again, I have no idea what goes on in Europe. All right. I can only tell you what goes on in my backyard of Massachusetts and, and the things I read about in other um, newsletters around the country is that there's always, especially in the beginning of legalization, there's always that uptick in emergency room visits because you're, you're not educating the public on how to use this product. You're relying on these people behind the counter, the bud tenders, who sometimes can be you know, half your age, even a third of your, I mean, it is, it is amazing how many mistakes have been made in the past that I still don't think we've learned from to make any changes because of the complexity of this plan. Uh, Martin, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, you're, you're dead right. Um, I, I could definitely do it with a couple of those bottles as well, as I have a rather high tolerance. And sometimes I might have a person who might want to try some stuff and they're like, oh, how is that? And I was like, oh, it's not that strong. Next five minutes later, like, oh, my God, Martin, I can't get up. <laughs> Stuck <laughs> to the chair. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely um, yeah, it, it's need It's needed um, better education around consumption for especially for first timers. Because uh, a little is a lot when it comes to THC and when you've no tolerance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right. So it, it still goes back to the mantra. You start low and you go slow. Right, Lex? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. But that idea of CBD to knock it down. One story I heard over and over again when I was interviewing in California was when people would accidentally get their grandparents too high as they were trying to introduce them to the medicine. And the secret, the California secret was dabs of isolated CBD. So, you know, if, if you know about dabbing, it's taking a powder and it can, it's a way to get a whole bunch of a cannabinoid into your system through your lungs really quickly. It hits very fast within a minute. You're got the whole effect. And so a dab of CBD, this non-psychoactive, uh, that helps to damp down the reactions at your CB1 receptors that cause the psychoactivity dabs of CBD are like a ripcord. Uh, when you're plunging from THC that can just stop it in its tracks or take it down to a uh, a level that you can tolerate. So if you are comfortable using dabs, that might be something good to have around when you're trying to introduce your grandparents to this because one of the powers of CBD is even small amounts of CBD can really help modulate your THC experience. I know Rafael Mashulam, the father of the endocannabinoid system, says he wishes that all cannabis out there, whether medical or recreational, had at least 1% CBD in it just to help modulate the high from the THC. And I right. think it's a, it's a really important thing to keep uh, in mind. Right. And we can we can talk all you want about that. But everyone on this call knows it's also the terpenes that are steering the effectiveness of those cannabinoids. So there's, it really, truly is a, a, a chemistry experiment now when you grow this plant, because it, it's still a live thing. And what's going to impact you or affect you one way may not be the way that it does with me or somebody else. It it truly is in it, uh, a modern experiment and a, and a major uh, study on self-medication of a product that has a lot of medicinal benefits. And, and I, I don't think 
anybody in the world right now is you mentioned Raphael Mashulam, he may be the exception, is truly expert on this plant, right? Um, because he's the one who discovered uh, THC in the 60s. And, you know, we certainly give him credit. In fact, my pal, uh, Kurt Dalton from cannabis.net wants to uh, nominate him for the Nobel Peace Prize because of that discovery. And you know what? Think about that, guys. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? I wouldn't say the Peace Prize, I'd say the Science Prize, but yes. Yeah, I've heard his name floated around for that for quite a while. I mean, it was it with that and discover the endocannabinoid system. I mean, it was very innovative and really important for human health. We're only starting to get how big the whale is. Right. And uh, I, I would better... support giving him the uh, the peace prize because THC is probably the one molecule that can bring world peace if everybody had a, enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> because we'd all be chilled out we'd all be yeah. relaxed and there's a lot of anger on this side of the pond right now as you probably know our political system our policies our philosophies about lives and moralities and they just changed the abortion law in the united states i mean it is the most divided time in my life that i have seen this country and i might add i did grow up in the protest era in the late 60s and 70s and it was either you're for the war or against the war that was the only thing i can actually uh, related to through our through my own lifetime and it's far worse than that now it really is because of the labels because of the access to misinformation because of the built-in prejudice of a lot of humans who still believe that this was a evil weed and and they still you know watch reefer madness on a regular basis uh, it's still a fight isn't it martin Oh, it very much is still a fight. Uh, while we can see the finish line, you know, we still we still have to keep going. We have to reach it. Um, so we have to make sure we get everybody across it with us too. You know, we can't have just the first few people across that finish line and just, oh, the race is over. It's like, no, no, we have a lot of people to get across that line. So, yeah, it's not over yet. We have a long way to go. And we're so happy to have Lex Pilger going to document this over in the uh, the big continent over there, over in Europe. Lex, uh, uh, you know that this is going to be an ongoing battle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, especially here in France. It's uh, there's just not a knowledge or even a cognizance that the plant matters that much. Um, All right, I'd be nice remiss. To see much of Europe. Oh, go ahead. I would, speaking of Europe, okay, guys, you know. I mean, I'd be remiss. You can't take the sports guy out of the out of the guy out of the cannabis host here. You just can't. Okay, the the biggest sporting event in the world is going on right now, and I'm not going. Let's not date this because, as we all know, uh, there's been a lot of odd upsets in the first round of the World Cup, and now we're starting to get uh, uh, teams eliminated, countries eliminated, and and move on. So rather than focus on the results. I want to know what the culture is like in France and what the culture might be like in Ireland. Now, France obviously is in the World Cup and they have, in my estimation, the greatest player in the world today, Kylian Mbappe. I mean, and he's been worth the price of admission every time France plays. He is just fun. to. There's a couple of them. Lionel Messi is another one that you can't miss to watch if you truly love the game of football or, or soccer. What's the atmosphere like in Ireland, Martin, uh, during World Cup? Yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm I'm not seeing a whole lot about the soccer. I'm seeing a lot more about the comment commentary around the actual the game and where it's been held. I suppose some of the human rights issues and stuff yep. like that. But we we've one famous Irish soccer player from Cork actually, Roy Keane. 
And uh, he was hailed a hero recently for like just publicly calling out uh, Qatar and their anti-gay discriminatory laws. Um, and he did that while in Qatar. So uh, he was hailed a hero. So that's kind of most of the coverage I'm seeing of it. And that's probably the because Ireland's not in it, as you have you as you mentioned, if Ireland was in it, we might have heard more about the soccer right. side of it. But no, we're just kind of hearing about the um, the, the controversial side of it, the, right. the human slave labor and stuff. And whenever there's sports and from different um, entries from different countries, you can't keep politics out of sports. You just can't, right? I mean, even even nations inside nations. I mean, the the Iran soccer team didn't um, mouth even their national anthem. So I mean, there's always an opportunity for athletes to uh, use their platform to really bring attention to what goes on in these countries. Uh, but go back to the atmosphere in France, because I'm going to guess, Lex, okay, that when France plays, it's pretty quiet. Everybody's um, watching, right? I'm actually a pretty lousy person to ask because I have these little kids. And so to me, nothing happens after 8 p.m. anyway, and we're out in the burbs. So uh, it's always quiet out here. Um, so I haven't heard much in any well, direction. We, we, we all this. know. We know what it is like if you, you are, are in really a country. Into it. Right. Yeah. Whether you're from South Africa or from Europe, from Asia, from um, the African nations. And, and that's what I see going on now more than anything else is I think, yes, Martin, you're 100 percent right. It never should have been held in in Qatar. OK, it just doesn't make any sense unless you understand how greed works and money works and politics works. And that's exactly what was at work here. And and look at look at how this tournament FIFA has screwed up all the professional leagues and their schedules in order to have this tournament. So, you know, all I can say is as a as a lover of the game, okay, I root for the greatest goals and the greatest stories. And the one story that I hope to see in my lifetime is the United States men national team winning a World Cup, okay? The women have already done it a few times, okay? We know that. Women are superior in the United States. Deal with it, okay? Earth. That's in soccer and in life, too, if you want to get into that discussion. But in the meantime, I would really love to see that. I don't think it's going to happen this year. However, in four years, the youngest team in the tournament, the United States, has a real good shot to advancing in a in a more... Um, emphatic way as a as a host nation so i'm going to leave it at that rather than go back to you guys for comments all right because i just love the opportunity to to bring sports into this discussion about the changes in our world you know and that that's really where we're at martin how do people uh, find martin's world podcast yeah, um, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all of those social media sites. Um, we go live uh, at least once a week. We're uh, aiming to get back into the interviews as well soon. Um, but it is going to be worthwhile to, to get over there, follow and subscribe. As I have a number of court cases coming up where I engaged in civil disobedience protests last year, right across the year. Brought cannabis plants and cannabis into the law, uh, the guards here or cops, and handed myself in in possession of them. So I'm I'm challenging the legitimacy of the law. It's a violation of our constitutional rights and our human rights. So. If people want to follow that story and that battle, uh, by, by all means, uh, the next court case is December 13th and then January 30th and 31st after that. Well, I want to follow it now. <laughs> That's right. Lex, you're, you're on it because you're our European correspondent on We Talk News. And Lex, you too are a content producer. You can give yourself a plug. Go ahead. How do we find out more stuff that you're involved with? 
my main work is a science newsletter that goes through all the cannabinoid science each week. It's called Cannabinoids and the People, and that's on Substack. And I also have a podcast uh, in between seasons right now called The Lex Files. Um, and I write graphic novels about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system based on Moby Dick. So you can see all of those for free at LexPelger.com. There you go. And that's what it's all about now is access to information and education that is properly balanced. And I do think that those that are advocating for change are looking at it in a in a rational, moral way. And at some point, we are going to live to see the day where the entire world embraces the power of this plant medicine. So that's how I'm going to end this program. This has been a very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Remember, it's been a whole new world of weed out there. Let's all use it responsibly, shall we? Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. It's a whole new world of weed out there, isn't it? Everyone is learning new ways to titrate, ingest, consume, imbibe, and engage with this plant medicine we call cannabis. Hi, I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media and the host of In the Weeds. And once in a while, the really live business cannabis talk show we call Green Rush on Friday afternoons from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. Now, let me tell you my cannabis story. You know, I've had four major surgeries in the past 23 years and suffer from osteoarthritis with a variety of metal parts in my body and one on deck. Now, thanks to those chronic pain issues, I've been a medical patient in Massachusetts for almost 10 years now. I remember my first trip to a dispensary just outside of Boston, and I told the bud tender I didn't want to smoke it anymore. So I tried edibles, then tinctures, then vaping. And now, if I'm going to smoke, I only use the Weejits filtration system. What? The Weejits.com, Weejits, that's weed, W-E-E-D, G-E-T-S.com, is where you'll find the planet's coolest product that cools the smoke from everyone's favorite flower. The guy that started this was a pretty good medical device manufacturer, and he created this maze pipe that cools the smoking process from 1300 degrees Fahrenheit upon inflammation down to just 90 degrees when it reaches your mouth. That's right, 1300 down to 90. That's why this maze pipe is amazing. So here's how it works. You start with that glass bowl, you flame on, and then you inhale nice and smooth so the smoke goes through three different filtration and cooling systems. Now, if pre-rolls is your thing, you can use the Weejits filter that a pre-roll fits into perfectly. That's right, or even a chillum. The more filters, the smoother the draw. Best of all is the price. You can get all this or one or the other for just a few bucks. It'll cool your smoke and you'll give your lungs a break. Now, add in the code of PCMTV and you get 15% off. So just go to Weejits.com and check out the best way to enjoy a cooler smoke with less coughing and hacking and more peace of mind. All that resin and tar is collected in the polyurethane filters that are easy to clean with soap, water, and a few Q-tips. Your lungs will thank you and so will I.
which at first I thought, oh, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm an activist, but I have, you know, held a bullhorn on the state house steps. Um, I have frequently testified before the Cannabis Control Commission in the state legislature, and, and I'm not, you know, shy about criticizing where I see, you know, mistakes being made. So, yeah, I think that's what differentiates me, just an appreciation for the plant. Uh, and then also I'm a cannabis entrepreneur myself. Um, I've, I've started businesses, uh, so I've lived that entrepreneurial journey. I know how hard it is. It is absolutely a marathon, not a sprint. So I think that, you know, it, I'm in the game, not just on the sidelines. As a broker, we have access to many, many cannabis carriers. So I'll go in with two or three uh, quotes for people. The quotes might be 20,000 for one, 22,000 for another, 17,500 for another. Pretty close among the three. What I tell people is it's not the pricing, it's what's included and not included, meaning exclusions. An exclusion in layman's terms is just something that's not included. It's not on the menu, so it's just not included. But if you don't know that, if no one shows you that on page 71 of a 150-page policy, you're not going to know. No one knows. I never met one person that says they read an insurance policy. If you do, you know, I got some property in Florida for you. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. So the, the reality of the matter is, uh, you know, big banks and small banks are gonna be different in a lot of ways. And they're both gonna have their advantages and disadvantages. For a business like cannabis, you really have to have an integral knowledge of that business and a real granular knowledge of that business and the players involved in it. And that's why if you look at the banks that are successful to play in this space in Massachusetts, they are smaller banks that are very heavy, intensified personal touch, human communication, where you don't get a lot of that with the bigger banks. State Cannabis Report is supported by Holyoke Cannabis, Holyoke's finest cannabis recreational experience.